Friday edition of Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And lots to dig into today as we get set for a very busy weekend of action in the National Football League, but of course the Toronto Raptors as well. Uh, oftentimes our primary focus, especially right off the top in this first hour, as the Raptors get set for the back-to-back tonight in Detroit and then tomorrow in Milwaukee as the Bucks are coming off a decisive statement victory yesterday over the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so we will dive into that a little bit later on in the show. But again, before dealing with the Bucks, the Raptors will have to go with the Pistons tonight. And uh, later on in the show, we will talk more about the Pistons with former bad boy Rick Mahorn. And also, a little bit later in the show as well, Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Detroit Pistons, will join us. So lots coming up on the show today, Jonesy. Um, uh, it's not a double dip of Smith & Jones today, but it will be tomorrow. Uh, but important for the Raptors to get this first one tonight against Detroit, get back on the winning track. You you were that close, that close to having a seven-game win streak, but the Suns ended your six-game winning streak. Start this road trip off right with a win against a team that on paper you should probably beat, but you also thought that earlier in the season when they came to your joint and they knocked you around pretty good. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll have to ask Dwayne about this and, and ask Rick Mahorn about this. Uh, it's always personal when it's your former team and they just – there just seems to be a lot of juice for the Pistons when they when they play the Raptors this last little while since Dwayne's taken over. But but E, I want to uh, we we talked about it in our group chat with uh, uh, our technical pr- uh, director Lance Lance Kennedy, and we, we have Josh Santos with us today, and uh, Mark Boffo, and you and I. Uh, one of our guests from last week, Michelle Beadle, has her her podcast. What did I miss? And she with uh, former NBA front office guy Amin El Hassan had a little spoof that it really brought to mind something my father used to say um, in in Latin and the English translation is many a truth hath been said in jest and they were talking about the all-star game just as you and I are and Fred and how he's kind of you know catching people's eye and the whole thing about you know our U.S. colleagues maybe it'll It'll jump in front of them and say, hey, here I am as, as a possible all-star selection. He's moved from number 10 up to number 8 in the latest round of fan balloting, although he's never going to get to the top there. So hopefully the coaches will, will put him in. But uh, Michelle Beadle asked Amin Hassan, who's most likely to get, and if you haven't seen it, folks, it's on social media, who's most likely to get snubbed for the all-star? And after a little hesitation... And I'm sure considering like we did the whole Darius Garland and, and Cleveland being the home of the All-Star game and yada, yada, he, he kind of said Fred Van Vliet. And they talked about it briefly. And then and then Beadle went to, I feel like his name would be the perfect name for a detective. <laughs> Fred Van Vliet. And then they went into the, the uh, and I had a buddy who used to do this all the time. We'd be driving by. Uh, or we'd be walking home from school, and he'd see a guy standing outside the liquor store and go, see that guy? And I say, yeah. He goes, used to be a prominent center ice man for a junior A hockey team. And then alcohol hit him. Look at him now. Like he just, he just, he just makes stuff up about a guy, right? We, we'd be, we'd be, you know, we'd be walking along and, you know, see an old lady pushing her, her pulling her shopping cart from coming home from the grocery store, and he'd say, See her? I'm like, yeah. Was once a top ballerina dancer, <laughs> but, but, but broke her toe one night uh, 
getting up, going to the bathroom, stubbed her big toe was never the same. And like he just makes stuff up like that. And 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 Vito said that she used to be a Fred Van Vliet, perfect detective. Suddenly doesn't play by the rules, but did his own thing, and now it worked out. Like so, I wonder if you and I, and we never use a guy's nickname, folks. We never use a nickname for a guy unless he approves it. Like, um, you know, Jose. I said, you know, when you turn the corner, we call that the Ocho Special. He said, he's okay, he's okay. I like, I like that. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> and and I asked uh, Norman Powell. I said, you know. The general thing, you know, Colin Powell, Norman Schwarzkopf, you know, you're, you're, you're in charge out there. The general's always, he goes, yeah, okay, Jonesy, you can run with it. So we never just throw a nickname out. I witnessed this year, right, when we had uh, Banton, Boucher, and Birch on the floor, right? We, we were looking for names, and we took it to them, and, you know, the 401 Express, the, you know, we, we never use a nickname unless a guy's good with it because there are some times when guys aren't good with nicknames like you call you use a nickname and a guy goes hey man i don't like that I'm like all right <laughs> so we're gonna have to check with fred and see if we can start you know start maybe throwing that in bet on yourself you know they call him the detective because he always gets his okay. man well, and the cool thing, too, if, if folks want, like, we could play the audio for you, but it, it, it plays better, quite honestly, for video because uh, whoever's doing graphics, maybe, maybe we need, you know, I, we, we love our Fan 590 staff, especially at the top of the list, at the top of the list when it comes to the social media stuff, uh, Maria. But, I, you know, so I don't want to sound like I'm throwing anybody under the bus here, but, but Beatles got, like, a graphics team or something, too, so maybe that's what we need more of. We need a graphics team, Jonesy, because that's, that's what really makes it funny to me as well. It's, listen, the, the words and the way that they present them and everything was funny, but when you see the video itself and then the graphics team that suddenly, like, swipes into the picture a, a shot of Fred Van Vliet and then they whew, throw in a hat on top of him, like an old-school detective's hat with the trench coat and a shirt and tie, and then they've got sort of the darkened background almost looking like Gotham City behind him or something. That's, to me, what made it even funnier as well, and, and they truly did make him look like, uh, you know, like he's Dick Tracy or something, or uh, why am I brain cramping? I should know this. Who's the... Who's the Oh, uh, Jim uh, Jim Gordon, like in in the in the Batman, you know, in, in Chronicles yeah, yeah. and whatnot. Like yeah. they make him look like that old school detective guy, and that's what made it even funnier. Like I, you know, what I honestly thought of Jonesy when I saw that too. And this may or may not divert our conversation as we as we uh, show our age a little bit here. It made me think of the old posters. Like, do kids use posters anymore? Like, I know now they're like probably you know framed already, and 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 they cost way more. But back in the day. The posters that they, we had for professional athletes, and especially in basketball, like think of the the mailman, Carl Malone, with Malone dressed up like a mailman, yeah. you know, with the the sleeves ripped on his giant bicep standing outside somebody's house, or the Ice Man cometh. Like there were so many outstanding posters, and wouldn't it be cool to have like Van Vliet? You know, standing there in the trench coat and the hat, the detective, Fred Van Vliet, and he, maybe he's even got, like, a, you know, like, bet on yourself or whatever it exactly. might be. Like, I know exactly. there are posters, but I'm talking about the ones that are, like, more staged photos, not just, you know, photographs of them in their jerseys. Like, I'm talking the, the cool ones that involved costume and wardrobe changes and nicknames and everything else. That's what I remember from my childhood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the one, they're, they're the, the George Gervin one. The uh, the Iceman, where he's sitting in a gray sweatsuit. It's a Nike. Yeah, the the Iceman cometh. Gray sweatsuit, and he's literally sitting on an ice throne. He's sitting on like uh, you know like blocks of ice. I'm sure he was soaked. There's nothing worse than to me. There's nothing worse, especially when I'm out golfing, than having 
uh, a wet feet or a wet backside. Like, that's the worst. And I'm sure unless George was sitting on a few towels, a few dozen towels, and you can't tell from the poster, he was getting up with a wet backside. Uh, but you're right. I, I don't think kids, I don't think kids do those kinds of things anymore. Like I, my, my bedroom was filled with posters and not just ones like that, but just regular of, you know, Dr. J and, 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 you know, Kareem with the, the sky hook and yeah, that's Wilt with his, Wilt the stilt with the finger roll that he's all arms and legs, Wilt Chamberlain. I don't, I don't think. I don't think kids do those anymore. Although I will say when my kids were younger, the boys had some posters in their rooms. But I was the one that pushed it. Like, hey, don't you, so-and-so's your favorite player? One of them was a Senators fan at the time. And he had like an Eric Carlson poster. I'm like, geez, really? Okay, well. But I don't think kids do that anymore, <laughs> e. I don't. I don't think kids do that anymore. Yeah, my, my kid had a – up until he uh, renovated his room during COVID and we painted it and it's a little – you know, because he's, he's a little older now. He's got to have a cooler room. But he had he had a Raptor poster, like the mascot, the Raptor, our guy. As the feud nice. goes on with Devin Booker, he had a Raptor poster, but then it was mostly Star Wars posters. But, you know, Jones, I, I quickly Googled and called up. I just I, – I, what did I type in? Old basketball posters. I should have put like 80s, 90s bad. But one of the first ones that popped up, and, it, and I'm, I'm, I'm smiling here just like being nostalgic – Vinny Johnson. Vinny Johnson standing there. He's got a ball in his right hand, a basketball that's on fire, and he's wearing white tearaways pants and a white jersey, but the jersey, instead of it, of course, being a Pistons jersey, it's got a dial in the middle of the chest, and it's got off, low, medium, high, Vinny Johnson. And it's <laughs> and the poster says at the top, Vinny Johnson, and on the bottom, the microwave. Like, I like that. I never I saw that it. one. There's there's Dale Ellis, Dale Ellis outside a window, and on the on the other side of the window, is a dude in in a in basketball shorts standing outside a hoop and he's reading a newspaper, and Ellis on the other side of the of the window, is got like a black trench coat on although it's like short sleeve trench coat, and he's in tearaways and a, and a green top of some sort obviously Sonics colors and he's holding his finger up to his mouth like. And it says Dale Ellis, the silent assassin. <laughs> like these are great. These are like I want to find these. I'd hang these in my office right now. Yeah, got to yeah. see if I can find a site that sells these things or something. I got I got to post some of these to Twitter. What's the, what's this other one here? Hold on, I could do this all day. Chuck Person, the rifleman. Oh, the rifleman. The rifleman. And they've oh, got yeah. they've got him standing. There's a, a backboard that's lower, basically to his waist height, and there's a target on the backboard. That's got like fire coming out of it. That it's just been shot, and the target's got. Uh, it happens to be Atlanta. But then on the ground, there's a whole bunch of targets that have already been shot: Milwaukee, Detroit, Los Angeles, Chicago, Cleveland. And Chuck is standing there in a plaid shirt with a handkerchief tie, with jeans and leather chaps on. He's got the he's got the basketball under the left arm, and he's got a rifle over his right shoulder. And it's Chuck Person, the rifleman. Like, come on, these are classic. Oh, I, I just I, I I started to the Google search myself. Daryl Griffith from the University of Louisville, and uh, his nickname was Doctor Duncanstein. There he is in a white lab coat with a basket and the. Uh, the thing that a surgeon uses that has the mirror on the front, the white headband with the big mirror on the front, and he's got, he's got a basketball that's been cut in half and like obviously dry ice. It's it's smoking from both basketballs. Doctor Duncanstein. I rem- Hey, 
I remember in, 19, in the Final Four in 1983 when all the talk was Louisville and, and you know, the doctors of Dunk. And, you know, they had Daryl Griffith, Dr. Duncanstein, and they played against the University of Houston with Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon and Benny Anders. And, and, and there, were, there, were, there were dunks like crazy in that game. And that's the first time I'd heard or seen, you'd always kind of heard about it, a Phi Slamma Jamma, the fraternity in Houston. Houston won the game, went to the national championship. And at the end of the interview, one of the guys for Houston said, sorry, Louisville, y'all might be doctors, but you can't join our fraternity. And it was like, oh, shots fired, shots fired. So, yeah, yeah. We reminisce. Yeah, no, I, honestly, I, are we live in the air right now? I could keep doing this just scrolling through all of these old posters because there's great ones from football and, and baseball couple into in, into to hockey as well but like like when Wayne Gretzky first went and I actually remember having this poster as well when Gretzky first went to the uh, Kings and they've got Gretzky and Magic standing back to back in tuxedos and Magic's throwing a basketball up in the air Wayne's throwing a puck up in the air as they're back to back and it says LA story and again in tuxedos with fireworks going off in the background and it says LA story starring Irvin Johnson as Magic and Wayne Gretzky <laughs> as the great one like you know they, they, there's another one I, I i saw jonesy just uh, as i was scrolling through here too and i remember this one i didn't have this but i would 1000 percent if i get my hands on this one it's I, i'm not lying it's going on the wall right now james worthy at a desk in an office like a really fancy looking office with the, like the mahogany desk or whatever and he's got a woman behind him who i suppose is supposed to be his his, you know, uh, legal secretary, legal assistant. Maybe she's a fellow lawyer as well. I'm not sure, but it says James, and he's in a suit. Worthy's in a suit, and he's got his New Balance kicks on the desk right beside his number 42 jersey. But he's in a, he's in a. It looks like it, I can't tell if it's a three-piece suit or if it's just a, a double breast. But either way, James Worthy, L.A. Law. Like, come on, this yeah. is these are fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. No, no, and, are- and listen. There's got to be a Bad Boys poster. We're going to have one of the Bad Boys on in a second. There's got to be a Bad Boys poster beyond just the dude standing in their, in their, in their uniforms. I, I'm going to look for it right now, but there's got to be some sort of Bad Boys poster. Well, I, I, have, uh, I, have, uh, I have a T-shirt, and I still have it. And, like, it's so, well, from 1988 or whatever, it's so old that the, the, the rubberized basketball on the front with the skull and crossbones for Bad Boys – it's yep. got it's got cracks in it because it's so old and like I refuse, I I refuse to throw it out. Maybe somebody will take it and throw it out when when I go to my grave. But that is that's one of those things when people are like cleaning stuff up and they find it, it's like, hey man, don't touch my, sh-. like leave it. Well, yeah, <laughs> leave, leave it alone. Leave, leave it alone. Leave it alone. And and our our producer Mark Boffo weigh, weighing in on our group chat here saying that uh, he was a fan of Little Penny. Remember the Little Penny with Chris Rock doing? Oh yeah, the, of course. Chris Rock doing the voice of Little Penny. Who you got tonight? Los Lobos, or, <laughs> or 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 the one where the one where they were talking on a cell phone, and he wanted to cut off the conversation, and he took the phone from his ear and started waving around, saying, "I can't talk through you now. I'm going through a tunnel." You know, like yeah. yeah. What's interesting to me, and I, um, Josh, uh, we have our we have. One of the original bad boys on the line. And we're going to have to get the genesis of that story. He's our guy, uh, radio uh, analyst and, and uh, NBA champion. NBA champion. Horn, I need to see the ring at some point. Uh, NBA champion, 
Rick Mahorn. You don't want to see that ring. That ring's so small compared to the rings they got now. <laughs> I, got, I got a high school ring compared to what they got now. I don't even know. What is it, a bracelet for the for the finger now? I, hey, I ain't Rick, mad at it. I got one. You got one, man. It's all. That's what it's about. Uh, we were talking about the old posters. I found it, Jonesy. I found it. Which one? I found the it. bad boy poster? Yeah, well, I mean, there might be more than one, but I'm, I, I, we, maybe I, we have to ask Rick about this if he even remembers the photo shoot. The Bad Boys poster that I found is Rick Mahorn and Bill Lambeer in, in black cut-off T-shirts, like the sleeves are cut off, and Mahorn is standing there with his, he's got like, uh, looks like, like motorcycle, like driving gloves on, and he's holding on to a rim, a basketball rim. He's got the mesh of the hoop in his teeth and he's like ah like gritting his teeth at the camera he's got the shades on he's wearing I a detroit it. bad detroit bad well, boys well, well, ball cap and there's lamb beer me right now why are you addressing <laughs> me right now I'm, like, I'm trying to keep those clothes on it's cold as hell <laughs> this but do you, but rick do you have like a copy of that photo still or that poster or like does it exist in your home you office know, or something do you know i still have uh, posters from back then with Bill and I have signed that. That was in the uh, Rolling Stones back in the day. That uh, particular yeah. that particular picture we had, uh, the Raiders kind of adopted us. We were the bad boys of the NBA. And uh, Al Davis sent us uh, those uh, guy, uh, sent us those football jerseys with our names on it and our numbers. So that's what I had on in that picture with Bill as well. So it, you know, that poster is not – I have, like, originals, but I couldn't tell you where any of those posters are. I don't even think they really sell those anymore. Rick, it, it's funny because we got, we got into this after talking about mm-hmm. nick, nicknames. Um, you know, back in your day, a guy like Chuck Person was the rifleman, and you, you, played, with, you played with the microwave. And I, I, from what I hear, it was Danny Ainge that, that g- gave – Vinnie Johnson, the nickname, because he said, if that guy in Chicago, that football player, is the fridge, talking about William Perry, he said, well, this guy heats up in a hurry. He's a microwave. And that's the story I heard. I don't know if it's accurate, but I, I, I know there are times, Rick, when you were playing, when you guys were in a game, and Vinnie came off the bench, and he started giving people work, and he was going off. I know there was some, I know there was some, some junk on the bench saying, uh-oh, microwave is hot. Uh-oh, he's... He's cooking people. He's cooking uh, people. I know that happened. What's, <laughs> you know that you know it, it, the nickname that the people gave Vinny was totally different than the nickname that we gave him as a team. And you know it, it was like when I first got to Detroit and the first game that you know first official game that I did with them, they were like, "I'm sitting here going like, who, who's who's who." And you're going like, oh, Vinny's right now. He's hooing him right now. That means he's coming in there and about to do this wet work real quick. And he was, you know, so, oh, and that's what his, see, the nicknames that you hear are really not the nicknames that are on, you know, like on the court. You know, they call, uh, you know, they'll call Isaiah, you know, that's Isaiah or, or Zeke. That was his name. But when you're on the court and you're in battle, you only hear certain tones and certain voices, especially when you're in hostile environments like Boston Garden is like a horn or something like that. It's all nicknamed oriented, but not necessarily nicknamed that you want. It was more yeah. nicknamed that we gave you. Like Sally, 
I call him till his death. Still call him his nickname, and then it, it's you know, it's like, hey, dude, what you doing? You know, so it, <laughs> it's recognition. I don't know, and it, it, it just you know, they that means we are still uh, the same. Don't worry about being called who or or um, Bill or Lamb or whatever. So. It, you know, you have to have those code, certain codes during the game that you don't want the other team to know. Well, it's funny, Rick, because I did sit behind the Pistons bench uh, a one game, uh, and, and Vinny was going off, man. He was giving people work, and guys were on the bench. Like, he'd hit a shot. He'd, he'd hit, like, three, four in a row, and the ball would be in the air, and guys would be standing up at the end of the bench holding their towel up, and they were yelling, who time? Who time? And I'm looking around like, what am I missing? Who time? Who time? <laughs> that was like he he hooing them. <laughs> going like, you know, I'm first get him. Like, I just thought it was just, you know, Benny the microwave or whatever. It was like, nah, he'd be hooing them. And he'd get down in that little stance and he'd come over. He, he about to hoo him. He about to hoo him. So, you know, those are the things. You find those little things, those little uh, injections of words where you're going like, it just don't figure. It just doesn't figure it out. So. <laughs> Speaking with Rick Mahorn, Pistons analyst, NBA champ, as the Raptors get set for the Pistons tonight in Detroit, the first of five on the road for the Raptors. All right, Rick, let's let's look a little current day here. Um, you know, obviously it hasn't been great in terms of the record for, for Detroit, second last in the East. But, you know, Jonesy and I have said a couple of times with this team, you know, I'm, I'm trying to project forward to whether it's next year, a couple of years from now. I like a lot of the pieces Detroit has right now. I like some of those young pieces. Who stands out most for you, Rick, right now in terms of the guy that you're keeping your eye on saying, yep, you know what, and this this is the one to watch, or these are the couple of guys that are really going to bring Detroit basketball back? Well, the thing is, you first and foremost, you have to build a foundation. You know, you can say that these certain guys, you know, this guy can be a piece of a puzzle to make it, you know, where we can get back into the prominence of winning. You look at the Kay Cunninghams, you look at the Sadiq Bays, you look at the young, the youth guys that are coming in, but you know, you want to see a healthy team all together with Kelly Olenek and also Jeremy Grant in a collective way. So you want to have a focus and not being going up and down. You know, we lost by 46 the other night. And then, you know, we beat a team like the Utah Jazz or then we'll beat a team like the Milwaukee Bucks but then go lose by 36. Those are the things that when you're looking at the Pistons, we're looking at consistency as far as the defensive side. So the pieces all have to work together and have some kind of, um, you know, a certain balance and identity. So first and foremost, you got to get your identity. And once you get your identity as a team, then you can take off. Rick, um, sometimes the record can be deceiving. I, I mean, when you're a young team trying to, as you say, establish a culture and, and improve and climb the ranks, the number from year to year, there might be 26 one, wins one year and then 22 wins the next year, but you've actually improved. You've actually gotten better even though, even though the record doesn't sh- say it. And I, and I remember Sam Mitchell when he coached the Raptors they were in a really bad stretch. It was the year that they won their first Atlantic Division title. And it was around Christmas time and uh, beginning of December. And the season, you know, we're a couple months in and Sam saying, Sam would say, I, I know it don't look like it, but we getting better. And all of a sudden, boom, 
in the middle of December, they took off. They were 10 games over 500 for the rest of the, the season and, and won the division. So my, my question is, looking at the Pistons as they are building, is this a case where things, they're establishing an identity, a culture, a, a, you know, but, and they're, they may be getting better even though the record doesn't necessarily show that. We're, we're going to have Dwayne on too, and something I, I wanted to ask him from, from, from his point of view, but I'm, I'm throwing it to you because you've seen it having been around the league for a long time. You know, you're right. In certain places, it just takes one thing to just put that 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 linchpin to make it, uh, you know, to, to turn it over into wins. And the thing is, you have to have that uh, continuity. Guys got to be healthy. That's one thing you have to be you have to deal with the COVID situation now. Other than injuries, the COVID protocol. But it, it's like uh, it's like trying to, you know, figure it out. You got a big puzzle to say, okay, we can have Isaiah Stewart and, and we have pieces that we're going to move on in the future, is trying to catch that one person that can attract and, and, and put all these pieces together. So when, when Sam, you know, says that you're getting better, you have to learn from your losses. If you don't learn from your losses, you can never uh, achieve the goals of trying to get your wins right. And the thing is, you know, you can go on a – uh, a 10 game winning streak but if you you know like last year you saw the Knicks how they played but then you know next year and you know during this year in Atlanta Hawks they they achieved something right. they overachieved and then all of a sudden it's like okay well what's taking them so long now because people are aware of you teams make sure they can't make a, con- a concentrated effort because what you did last year is what their their predecessor you know they're perceiving so when you look at a record I look at the record and say, okay, this team that they're about to embark on can't take them lightly. That's the thing about human nature. You can't take a team. You, you don't look at your, look at their record because you saw the uh, what Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Indiana uh, Indianapolis Colts the other day, and they don't even make the playoffs just because of that one particular win. Underestimating that any given Sunday, a team can be better than you. Right. You know, Rick, it's interesting you bring up the point. This is this is something we've asked probably a million times over the years, but, I, but I'm always interested in uh, when you talk about learning from the losses and, and, and learning to, to find your way through it and, and what you take away from it. How tough is that, though? When you come into the league, whether it's your own experience, whether it's players in today's game, you probably have experienced almost nothing but winning from your collegiate program. Maybe even if you didn't win the championship, you won a whole hell of a lot of games. You're probably the best player in your high school. You might have only lost three games in your entire high school career. Maybe the last time you lost a game or lost a championship was in, in, in grade school. And all of a sudden now you're in the NBA, you finally made it, and you're like in the, you know, the, you're dead last in the league, or you've won five games out of 20, and you're getting whooped every night. How tough is that to, to look yourself in the mirror and go, man, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that it's tough. You know, we know in, in, in sports that it's a, this is a team sport, but it's also in sports someone has to win and, and someone has to lose. It's, it's just how you lose. It's just the fact, do you get upset or do you push your teammates as well? That's the big thing. It's like if, if you lose, it should be, you know, we, we you know, if, you, if we <laughs> remember, I'm, I'm only using it from my experience. If we lost the game back back in the bad boys, our bus was quiet. It wasn't no talking, no nothing. And we were we, we were all simmering. So when practice came out, we were competing against each other like 
we just lost. Like we we put faces on that that particular scrimmage and go like, man, I'm about to go at you all day. But the thing is, you have to. You don't have to be. You can have to compete against yourselves in order to bring that to the court and practice. You know, not necessarily practice six. You know, five six hours or something like that. No. You know, you, you put the guys out there and you say, okay, let's compete. And if we're all athletes, we, we want to compete to the point that, hey, I hate losing. That's the thing you have to have in your mind. What do I need to do as a, as a person to help this team win more games? What do I have to do? Rick, um, what is it about the Raptors that bring out the best in the Pistons ever since Dwayne Casey went to coach Detroit. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it just, it just seems like I know our, our, our okay. the first time I heard it said publicly was by Butch Carter back in 2000 when he coached against his former team and they won. He said he, he kind of had a little smile on his face. He said, Jones, you know, it's always personal when it's the former team. And I, I have to feel that that's the basis. Yeah, it's always, um, well, when we, you know, it's like me, you always want to have get back. And and that's the thing. I'm, you know, like my man Gerald Brown always says on our yes. show on Saturday, get back. Yeah, you want get back. You want, you want <laughs> these games become so, you know, we can lose 100 games, but we ain't going to lose to these bums. That's what I'm saying. So the, the things that happened to Casey up there, which I said, thank you for give, giving us a coach that can, you know, uh, even though y'all were dealing with LeBronto, um, and then when LeBronto left, y'all did win a championship. But I, I'm never, I don't knock that, and you know. But Casey, hey, I'm I'm glad because I got sick of Toronto coming up down here beating us. <laughs> I'm Rick, just Rick. I'm I'm just upset that the pandemic's still raging because otherwise that place would be full again. We might finally see a Pistons crowd in Detroit for a Toronto Detroit game, Rick. I mean, normally it's the Raptors just yeah, taking yeah. over that building. Hey, hey, don't don't just sit up there and talk about it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It, it, I, I, it, it would annoy me to the fullest. And Jonesy knows. I'll be sitting there here. Yeah, we the North and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there going, like, just, let's, let's just go back about 20-something years. You you got to figure you are all Pistons fans. Now you want to yeah. come in and show, and show your butt. We, we the North. We the North. Yeah, okay. But you know what? It's all good because, you know, you need fans in all, all phases. And it was great that Toronto won for the nation of Canada that, that championship. And, you know, it brings more excitement to the NBA that shows that it is parity in this league as we see every night. So it, it's, all, it's all good. I know, they, we, I know y'all closed the border. We didn't. that is true because i got to tell you that we we were we were kind of disappointed that we didn't see you guys on the travel and the way the pandemic is i can't tell the last time that you and i and we sat in in a media room and had dinner and and uh able to chop it up and 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 get the stories down i'm i'm hoping rick that uh, you know, this pandemic just just gives us a break. Just, uh, all right, lighten up on us so we can get back to some of the normal stuff. Because my boy Eric Smith on the other end of the line, when we go to yeah, Detroit, <laughs> I'm, I have to make sure that he works out long before he goes into that media room at Little Caesars Arena. Oh, he has it ranked uh, number one. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we may have a bad record, but we got a good media room. And I'm sitting there. They, I was one day I went in there. I was like, chicken wing? 
oh, shoot, give me a box. Let me get a dozen of those before I leave out of here. But, it, it, you know, you miss those. I do miss uh, I do miss the media room in Toronto. Uh, there's always some pizza there, but it's always that one time that guy came in there, Jonesy, and broke the pizza, the broke the pizza thing. I was dying. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's the game tonight. You know, you know, after losing by forty six, even though when you look at uh, wins, you only look at it as a loss. But it's just you look at the little things that how you lost, how you were prepared. So, and you know, Coach Casey is one of those detailed guys that I respect yes. highly of the of the guys uh, getting back to something, especially against Toronto. Now, you know Toronto's got a little bad blood right now because they got to say, okay, we done lost to them too many times. It's time for us to get some reprieve. So it's going to be a great – it's going to be a good game tonight. Hey, Rick, we appreciate the time as always. Um, hopefully we get a chance to see you soon one of these days, but uh, thanks for the time well, today, and uh, we'll talk listen, again soon. Listen, listen, my mailbox still works. Where's my money, Jonesy? I swear, boy, when I see you, you told me I was getting paid for this. <laughs> I take Canadian money, too. I got Canadian Venmo. All right, y'all I'll, have a good one. <laughs> I'll bring you some chicken wings. How's that? I'll bring you some chicken wings. <laughs> You're going to bring me some wings. You better bring me some jerk chicken wings, son. There you, you know, go. You know how we do, you yachty. Order's in. Order is in. <laughs> Order is in. Okay, Rick. There is Rick Mahorn, uh, radio analyst for the Pistons, television analyst as well, uh, and, of course, NBA champion, former bad boy, always a bad boy, but we always uh, enjoy having Rick on the, uh, on the air. I remember actually a number of years ago, I mean, I, I know you know Rick a heck of a lot better than I do, but I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years, so he's, he's always fun to sit with in the media room and have a meal with, have a conversation with, and, and we were in Detroit for Thanksgiving, and I was – Talking to Rick, I think he, I don't know if you were still at the table or not, Jonesy. And I, I a thousand percent know that he would have extended the same thing to you. But we were sitting there eating a meal. And he's like, "What'd you guys do last night?" He's like, "Oh man, we were stuck in the hotel and kind of getting some yeah. scraps after the team meal and whatever." He's like, "Why didn't you come to my place?" I'm like, "I don't know." He's like, "No, seriously, why?" Actually, I think he said, "You and Jonesy, why didn't Jonesy call you guys? Yeah. Could have come and had." I'm like, "Man, if I could have had Thanksgiving dinner with Mahorn and his family, might have been one of the best Thanksgiving dinners I had in yeah. my life." He gave me what for because uh, I, I, I called him the next morning to say, you know, happy Thanksgiving. What's going Because it's a holiday. It's like four or five day holiday in the U.S. They do it right. The Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, Sunday. And nobody goes back to work till till the Monday. And he said, oh, did you all just get to town? I said, no, no, we were here last night. He was like, what, your fingers don't work? I said, excuse me. He said, you couldn't call me. What did you do? I said, oh, we just kind of hung out at the hotel, had dinner here. He goes, he goes, no, nah, man, don't do that next time. So, and of course, we haven't had a uh, we haven't had Thanksgiving in Detroit since the, the schedule makers haven't given us that. But he's uh, uh, he's very different. Uh, he is he epitomizes the fact that something I learned: uh, your sports personality can be very different from your real personality. I mean, he is such a a, a charitable guy, um, but but don't get be, don't get on the court be, with him. And don't don't look at him the wrong way on the floor when he's competing. So yeah, that that's Rick. Again, appreciate the time. 
that Rick Mahorn gave us this morning. Raptors and Pistons going at it tonight uh, in Detroit as the Raptors start their first of five on the road playing tomorrow in Milwaukee on the back-to-back. The tip-off tonight in Detroit at 7 o'clock Eastern. When we continue, we'll uh, look around some other stories around the association, but maybe maybe chat a little Raptors as well with a friend of the show, senior writer from Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck, up next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Joining us on the line right now, senior NBA writer from Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. Howard, thanks for the time today. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Good to hear Doing you, well. Howard. Hey, yeah. Howard, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot here with something, but it's not, not anything too crazy here. Uh, we start, And I'm going to talk a little bit long just to get your brain wheels going to give you a chance to actually think about one. Off the top of the show, I don't know how we got diverted to this, but we, we, we got on the topic of, of reminiscing to the old school, like, 80s and 90s, but more so 80s basketball posters, like the, you know, the, the Carl Malone poster dressed up like a mailman as, you know, the mailman delivers, things like that. We ended up having Rick Mahorn on the show just a couple of minutes ago, right before you, to talk about the Pistons and Raptors tonight, but reminisced with, with Rick about some of those old bad boys posters as well and the famous one with him and Bill, Bill Lambeer. Do you have one that stands out? Because I know as a fan of the game and as, as a kid growing up loving the game, i got to imagine, there's, there's, is there one that stands out for you? Can you remember like some of those posters back in the day? I did not have any of them personally, but the one from back then that always stands out that I think is like the, the epitome of that era and of that, that kind of the fun that went with the way they designed those posters or the concept behind them, the, the tone, it's got to be the Iceman one, right? Yeah. Yep. 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 The Iceman yeah. cometh. That's got to yeah. be the best. I mean, those all the mailman as a mailman is phenomenal too. But like it, I, I love the just kind of the how much they just embraced. Not just that they embraced the nicknames and played off of them, but that guys actually had interesting nicknames back then instead of everybody just being their you know two initials or first initial plus a, a truncated version of their last name. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it, it's it's true, Howard, and and. Like that one, Eric and I got talking. That the George Gervin one. Was there anybody that fit the personality of his nickname more than George Gervin? Like he, <laughs> he never got excited. The late Stan Albeck told me a story that um, there, it was a tie game and a guy got fouled like right at the buzzer and it was for an and one to win the game. And he was coaching San Antonio and George Gervin turned and started wor- walking off the floor. And Albeck, Stan, turned to him and said, hey, man, where are you going? The game's not over. He goes, he looked, and he said, man, that Jimmy Silas at the line. He ain't missing that. Let's go home. And it was just just the, the way. Did anybody fit the personality of his nickname more than George Gervin? That's, that, that was it to me. I, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's Jay Adande who tells the story about, like getting the call back or something after you had to keep putting a call to him, whatever, and pick up the phone and just being like, Jay, yeah, it's ice. You know, and it's like, <laughs> the way he says it, like, I can't, I can't do George Gervin's voice because it's the coolest sounding voice in the world. I called him when Clay Thompson had that 37 point quarter to break Gervin's record for a single quarter four or five years ago, whenever it was. And I put in a call to, to, to George Gervin then. It was the first time I'd ever, you know, had the pleasure of speaking with him. And that 
15, 20 minutes on the phone with him was the most just enjoyable, fun uh, interview. Like, he just – he totally – he was totally down with, with, you know, Clay breaking the record, but he certainly pointed out that, you know, Clay had the benefit of all those threes. Um, and it was – like, yeah, the whole conversation, he was just the epitome of the cool. Plus, he's got this amazing laugh. Like, the laugh is as cool as the rest of his voice and persona. Speaking with Howard Beck from uh, Sports Illustrated, senior NBA writer. All right, Howard, uh, more, more current day. I love reminiscing and, and hearing stories like that. But uh, um, I'm going to switch the attention to more current day. And, and, in fact, look back, though, to yesterday. Can you explain to us the Atlanta-New York deal? Because I don't know that it was like a horrendous trade, but it certainly seemed like it was heavily slanted and favored towards the Knicks in terms of what they ultimately gave up and what they ultimately got back, especially with the, the big piece being Cam Reddish. Yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, Cam Reddish was a highly touted prospect uh, coming out of high school and then coming out of, you know, maybe a little less so coming out of Duke, but um, certainly a, a, a tall, long, athletic gifted uh, player who hasn't really been able to put it all together. And from the Atlanta side, this is bad because Reddish was the second piece of the Trey Young, Luka Doncic swap. Like you, you, you got the extra pick. That was part the point of the exercise was to get a player that you thought could be a franchise star in, in Trey Young, but also to get the extra pick. And that became Cam Reddish and to have to give up on him just, a, you know, whatever in his third year, and for a pretty low price, I mean, they really didn't get much of anything for him. I, you know, when, when all the rumors were out there about, you know, they're shopping him and, and you know, they've got this log jam and they've got all these young wings and they need to, to clear it out and Reddish is not happy. I, you know, I, I figured a deal was, was likely before the trade deadline. I figured there would be some competition and I thought they would get, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know what I thought the payoff would be. I just thought it would be better than what they just got from the Knicks. So, Credit to the Knicks for making a really good, smart, and and low-risk deal. Here's the other side of it and why maybe the Hawks couldn't get more and why they were willing to take what seems like a a pretty low price. There are some concerns about uh, Reddish's makeup, his uh, maturity level, his uh, some selfish tendencies. These are things that are well-known around the league. These are not – this is not some, some big secret. I'm not breaking any news here. And so I think the league is a little bit just, you know, I don't want to say down on him, but maybe wary of him. And it's a low risk, but there is a risk. Like the risk is you're going to pick him up. You're going to have given up something and he doesn't work out, but they didn't give up much. And it's a, it's a swing at a guy who has, you know, still a very high ceiling. And if he can put it together, if he can, you know, get his habits a little better, if Tom Thibodeau can, can, you know, uh, you know, kind of mold him into the best version of himself, the Knicks might have something really nice. And then the other piece, of course, is just, as always in the NBA, there's the salary piece. He's eligible for an extension this summer. He's going to want that. I'm going to assume that the Knicks, after just a couple of months, are probably not going to give that any more than the Hawks were. And then he'll hit the uh, restricted free agency in the summer of 2023. But that gives the Knicks plenty of time to evaluate him and decide whether he's somebody worth investing in for the future. And for a team that just... Look, the Knicks aren't in great shape. They're okay, but they they need every young prospect, every every potential future, you know, something that they can get. So I, I think uh, taking swings like this makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, Howard, on the other side, 
you know, Kevin Knox was a high pick for for New York, and yeah. it it for it hasn't happened for for him, and they've moved on from him. And I know, as you said, with Atlanta, it's always painful for as long as it's not your regime, but it's painful to move on from a lottery pick. I mean, you you have an excuse when a new person comes in and says, "All right, well, you know, he wasn't my pick anyway, so let's let," and he's not doing what we we would like or we need or or we can get something for him. Let's move on from him. Um, Kevin Knox, I just he's 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 puzzling to me because he looks like, you know, the, the and when they drafted him, the the kind of guy that would be physically okay would be terrific in today's NBA. Long, athletic, can shoot it from the outside. It just hasn't happened. What what have you heard or uh, what's going on with Kevin Knox? And and will a fresh start in Atlanta maybe jumpstart him? I never want to say never on a guy, but Knox has been around for several years now through a couple different Knicks administrations and multiple coaches, and it hasn't worked with any of them. And this is a team that, as I was just saying, the Knicks are, are, are desperate to have some of their young guys pop and to have some guys to build around. It's still not clear what the Knicks' core is or who they're going to be three years from now and, and you know who's leading them to perennial deep playoff runs. That's, that's still an open question. So, if Kevin Knox had any chance at all of becoming a, a core player for them, it would have happened by now. Um, and and so, I, like I say, I, I hate to any, ever write a guy off, especially when they're still pretty young. But it, you know, at, at a certain point, it's on the player. And we can talk about organizations and whether they do a good enough job developing. And obviously, the, the the team you guys cover is one of the best in the league at developing young talent. And the Knicks have, you know, traditionally been one of the worst. But they've had some young guys you know, develop on their watch the last couple of years and under this new administration and Knox still hasn't popped. And so at a certain point in the NBA, the league kind of decides. And I think Knox is at that critical point where if it doesn't happen in, in Atlanta, I'm not sure how much of more of a, of a chance in the league he gets. And you're, you're, you're right, Jonesy. Like he's a guy who at a glance, you look at him like, my guy, he looks big, strong, athletic, he's long. Um, the, the knock on him from the beginning has been lack of motor and kind of soft. And, you know, he has done nothing to disprove that. And, and in these teams swapping misfired lottery picks, Reddish for Knox, at least in the case of Reddish, you know, not, you know, hasn't been really quite as long and has shown some flashes, has shown flashes where you could say like, oh, I get it. I, I see why this guy was a really highly touted prospect in Knox's case you've rarely even seen the flashes and that's that's troubling Howard do you think this might be the first step in a in in a bigger move or moves that might be coming for Atlanta or 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 no I mean I think that's the suspicion of everybody around the league I mean the you know the, the the where there's smoke there's fire theory that you know for weeks there's been talk about the Hawks wanting to make big moves needing to make big moves Travis Schlenk, the GM, going on local radio in Atlanta and basically not trashing his own roster, but just saying, like, I made a mistake in in, in leaving this group together, and I, I you know, it's it's you know, they're clearly underperforming, and we need to do something. And so, you know, uh, it's always the trick of finding the right deal to make, but um, you know, they just picked up an extra pick, which could be useful, perhaps, in a Ben Simmons deal or something else. And yeah, I, I gotta believe there's more coming. Howard. Howard, we pre- oh sorry, go ahead, Jonesy. No, no, I, I was going to say just a quickie as you, you we're up against the clock, but the Atlanta Hawks, 
is it a, just a case that they're not sneaking up on anybody this year and, and the expectations and what they've shown people last year have just made it that much more difficult for them this season? I think that's part of it. I think, you know, like, there's several teams that kind of overachieved last year, and the Knicks, of course, were the other one notably, yep. and those two, of course, played each other in the first round. It was an unusual season with, with, you know, no fans and buildings for most of it and everything else, and maybe the Hawks are the young team that none of us saw coming. Maybe it was just a case of them – you know, overachieving, catching fire, you know, taking advantage of circumstances and taking advantage of a league that wasn't, you know, expecting much from them. And, you know, there's some of that. I think also, you know, there's, you know, Pat Riley talks about, you know, the disease of me and, and I, they've got a bunch of young guys who are all on the rise and want more, want more uh, shots and bigger roles. And we've heard of that with John Collins. And he's one of those guys who you, you hear a lot about in trade rumors. And so, Maybe it's just that they need to thin out the pack a little bit and really focus in on who their core is so that it's it's better defined and there's fewer bruised egos. Howard, we appreciate the time today, the insight. Uh, hopefully one of these days we get to see you, but uh, stay stay well, stay healthy, and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll be bugging you again at some point down the road. All the best. <laughs> Always a pleasure, fellas. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Howard. Howard. There is Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Again, the Raptors in action tonight, 7 o'clock tip-off in Detroit against the Pistons, the first night of the back-to-back for the Raptors as they will face the uh, Bucks in Milwaukee tomorrow, and we will have that broadcast for you right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, we will talk more, though, about the Pistons and the Raptors in the next hour when Dwayne Casey joins us, and uh, we'll have a lot on the National Football League as well, but make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Back in a moment. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. The Raptors tonight getting set for a battle against the Detroit Pistons in Detroit. The first of five on the road for the Raptors. And uh, we are pleased to be joined on the line right now by the head coach of the Detroit Pistons, Dwayne Casey. Dwayne, appreciate the time today. Happy New Year. Always great to chat with you. Same here. E. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. All doing good. well. All good. Case, Case hey, Mark, uh, how you doing? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> you know I answer to both. You know I answer to both, so that's okay. And 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 so does he. So it it's it's all good. We got you on a game day and we're very, very appreciative of that. Um something something that I asked Rick Mahorn in the first hour, and and I want to jump right right at it with you. When you're when you're coaching a team, sometimes you can see improvement even though the record doesn't necessarily say so. What kind of improvement can you see in your young team right now? Well, the thing is, uh, you, we're laying a foundation, one, defensively, and I think our defense has improved tremendously. And and I think our, our young players, Jonesy, uh, from a, a getting used to the NBA standpoint, uh, so, again, we have, you know, a, a rookie, number one pick rookie. We have a second-year guys who have moved into the role of starters that are still – even to this day, finding their way in the NBA, what works, what doesn't. And that's a growth process. So you see growth in those areas, individual development, uh, our defensive development. The last thing to come around is our offensive development. And our shooting will be there some nights and not there the other nights. So it's all increments because we're all so young. One thing that, that really is, is uh, 
entertaining for me is watching our scrimmages even in practice. Our second unit guys who are older players, Corey and, and Josh Josh Jackson, Rodney Magruder and and Kelly Olenek, some of those guys, you know, they, they are routinely take it to the first unit, which is our young guys, which just tells you even though down the road they're probably going to be more talented, but right now there's so much to learn. So uh, we see it from an organizational standpoint. We see it from a coaching standpoint uh, that there is growth. And unfortunately, uh, we've had some games where we, we were leading the whole game against some very good teams. And at the end, experience and, and the ugly, inexperienced head uh, raises up and kicks us in the butt. But, um, I, you know, I like our team. I like our players. They're going to be good players. But, again, we understand that uh, being young in this league is not forgiving. You know, Dwayne, it's interesting. At the at the risk of sounding repetitive here, I'm going to now reference something that I asked Rick Moore because you're talking exactly about it. Right. The, those right. young guys and learning yeah. the game and learning situations and learning how to mm-hmm. win, period. Mm-hmm. Guys that are mm-hmm. coming from collegiate programs and high school programs that have probably experienced mm-hmm. you know anything but losing. They've, they've only won right. their whole lives. Right. How tough right. is that mentally, let alone physically, right. to learn to lose but learn to you know find the positives right. in those losses, the experience that will make them better, next year and for the years to come well again i, I reference this also he, back in toronto back before the the winning years we went through the same thing i mean it, mm-hmm. it's it's not unknown or unusual in our league to to go through growing and then stepping up i would say memphis has gone through it uh you can look at cleveland's gone through it, it there's a process but one thing that we try we try not to talk about routinely is winning we got to win tonight we're putting the pressure on young players that hey you got to win against golden state because that's you know being realistic but you want to go out with the winning mentality but just try not to talk about winning and trying to build winning habits every day like you know working on free throw box outs just a simple thing footworks on your closeouts building winning habits each and every day and and i can always say winning will come once you build those winning habits and it's a habit that you close out the proper way. It's a habit when you 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 know you set up your defense to get open every every play, and those things are are things that young players have to develop because, like you said, e, they're not used to losing. They're not used to in their AAU teams maybe, but high school, college, whatever they come from, winning programs. So again, if you talk about winning all the time and put that pressure on them, even though we are in a results-driven league. Uh, it, it's tough, and so again, we try to build, talk about building winning habits and not about winning uh, right now, and, and keeping the big picture in mind. So, as a coaching staff, we do it as a staff. We do it uh, as an organization uh, with the big picture in mind, and it's going to come to a point, and we understand that. I understand that. That hey, we got to turn the corner and make big steps. But uh, you, sometimes you have to take a step back and be realistic and know where we are and who we are, and we do know that. Dwayne, what does it mean for you as a coach and knowing what the mm-hmm. road is like in development to have mm-hmm. a couple of Canadians and veterans uh, <laughs> like, like Kelly Olenek and, and Corey mm-hmm. Joseph? What does it mean mm-hmm. for you to have those guys? It is so important because I've known uh, – I didn't know Kelly, I mean, uh, Kelly as well. I knew of him knew of his dad, you know, being in, in part of the Raptor program. Known Corey for, you know, and his brother DeVoe and, and know who they are as people. 
So it means so much to know that, hey, those guys understand what it takes to win. They understand they have the personality to be supportive of a team, their team first guys. So it was important for me to get Corey, to get Kelly, and to get Trey Lyles. Trey is a Canadian. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's so important to have guys that you know are from winning situations, winning programs. Uh, You know, Corey was with us in Toronto when we first turned the corner there and started making the playoffs and everything. So uh, he understands the system. And we run the same things that that, uh, a lot of the same things that Toronto's running right now that we ran then. So – it's uh, it, he understands what we're trying to do, and and that's why it's important for him to be here. And and we've missed him. He missed a couple of games with uh, a few nicks and bumps and everything, and we missed his presence, his calming effect on the team. So, uh, Corey is is, is a, 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 a warm blanket, as I call it, and, and Kelly is going to be the same thing. Kelly has been out. We, you know, we had just started kind of clicking a little bit when Kelly was getting used to our, our system and everything, and then he goes down with an injury. So we'll be getting him back pretty soon, and that'll help. And, again, we're under no illusions. We're ready to compete for a championship right now, but we want to build championship habits right now. Speaking with Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Pistons, Dwayne, when, when we kind of tie in the last couple of questions, talking about the youth and talking about the future mm-hmm. and the impact of having mm-hmm. veteran pe- people around to, to teach these young guys, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What what about you know the 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 young rising star, hopefully rising star, and Cade Cunningham at the beginning of the season trying to deal with bumps and bruises and injury and finally getting into the lineup and playing and and lo and behold you look down and if you weren't paying attention he's having a heck of a rookie season and starting to show why he was the top pick and and maybe if you can just kind of discuss his first year a little bit and then the the maturation the progression of what you've seen from him over the first few months. Eric, you, you just said it. He's, he missed the whole training camp. He missed all exhibition with a with a turned ankle that he had in September working out and everything. So that set him back, you know, the first part of the year, and his play showed it. But eventually, gradually, he's really coming around offensively, defensively. He's a smart kid. I mean, he's, he, you, you listen to him. He talks like a coach. Uh, he's all, already become one of our leaders. Uh, he has it, a lot like Fred. Fred, you can't put your finger on it, but Fred has it. And when he first walked on the floor coming in Toronto, you could tell that. And and the same thing with uh, with Cade. Cade has it as far as a leader, Pied Piper-type personality. Uh, and so <clears throat> that's something that is contagious with our guys. But right now he just doesn't have enough experience to, to back it up. But he sees everything. He's a quick learner. Uh, and, and again, he, he he's a ball mover. He's a, a a passer, a willing passer, as well as a scorer. So that makes it even better for him growing as a, a budding star. So uh, long ways to go still as a player, and, and to learning the league and what works in the league and what doesn't work in the league. But once he gets it, and he showed it the other night against Utah, I think he had twenty twenty nine or something like that. So he's going to have nights like that, and then he's going to have nights where you're not going to recognize him. And that's part of a, being a rookie and, and part of our job as a coaching staff of being patient. And uh, thank goodness I had gone through a lot of this with DeMar DeRozan, growing him, watching him grow in Toronto and see, okay, not going crazy every time he makes a mistake. Because I remember I told DeMar the other night when we played him, I said, I remember when they double-teamed you, you throw it up in the third row. And now you're welcoming people to come and double-team you so you can pick them apart. So that's growth, and that, that you, I see that in, in uh, K, the same things you see in DeMar and 
the leadership skills that he had that Kyle had and, and Fred had. So that gives me a reference point of, of patience. And sometimes I have to lose a little patience just to get their attention a little bit. But yet and still going through it really, really helps you. Um, you know, a lot of the young coaches on our staff, oh, what is he doing? Just, okay, he's going to make that move. He'll learn from it. You know, even though it's painful, we'll learn from it. So um, that's something that, you, you know, experience brings to the table. But like I said, at some point we understand and know and uh, our organization knows we got to take that next step of toward, toward building toward a championship team again. All right, Case. We know you're you're you. It's a game day, and you got you have other time commitments. But two things I want to ask. One, okay. uh, people <clears throat> always wonder what it is about playing a former team, and your guys, regardless of the record, just seem to mm-hmm. to have a little extra jump and maybe feel that right. for you. Maybe it comes through in a certain <laughs> way. But you've had real success against Toronto right. since you've left no. them. And and second of all, Case, Eric and I were reminiscing before. Uh, uh, in the first part of our show with Rick Mahorn and Howard Beck and people like that. Mm-hmm. What was the poster that Dwayne Casey had on his wall as a youngster growing up in Morganfield, Kentucky? <laughs> well, w- well, first of all, the first question is, you know, the, the, the team, they're running a lot of the same same uh, sets and same actions that we ran. So it, you understand that a little bit. But yet and still, I've never said to our team, hey, this is a former team. We've got to go kick their butt. That I never, ever have mentioned that whatsoever. So contrary to what a lot of people think, that I get jacked up. And you naturally do individually, but I never take that to the team. You know, you always want to be uh, – even Dallas. Whenever we played Dallas, I wanted to, to beat them. So, But uh, never take it over the team. I think the guys naturally feel it or read it or see it or whatever it is. Uh, but we've had some of our better games against Toronto, but never any revenge. I'm too old for that. Uh, you know, I'm way past that. Uh, and so I'm, I'm at the at the top of the mountain looking over, at, at getting ready to go to the other side. My my last hurrah, Jones, is they try to get us back into the playoff hunt, and then I'm going to go back to Kentucky and sit on the porch and by the, by the, <laughs> by the pond. So, But my, my poster – Believe it or not, my poster was a baseball poster of Lou Brock. Wow. I, I loved the St. Louis Cardinals growing up. And so I will always, I, matter of fact, I always wanted to be a baseball manager. Uh, that was my, my thing growing up. And, and I got into basketball. And uh, matter of fact, I, a few a couple of months ago, I ta- you know, talked with Coach Hall's daughter and seeing how he was. And, but he said he knew I always was going to be a basketball coach, even as a player. So I never knew that. I never thought that. But he he saw something in me and in that. But uh, you know, it's it's a. It, I, I love people think, oh man, you're in a losing team. But right now, I'm having the most fun coaching, teaching, and developing these guys. I get juiced up going to practice, shoot around, or whatever it is. Uh, the, the losses still hurt. There's no question about that. But I do understand where we are, what we are, and uh, what can this become if we make the right personnel decisions going forward after this. Again, we have a lot of money coming off of dead money coming off our cap uh, to for our cap. You know, uh, contracts that come off that are still on our cap that we don't have. But uh, that's going to be there. We have to make the right decisions for that. Uh, so, you know, those are the things that you look forward to, to see the building, see the moves you can make to, to get ourselves back in the uh, championship or playoff conversation. 
Dwayne, we really appreciate the time today, especially on a game day, no less. So thanks for uh, joining Thank us you. for a few minutes here. And uh, all the best to you and to the family, and uh, best of luck tonight. Thank you so much, Eric, and thank you so much, Jonesy. And, I, and Mark, is, you're, you're better looking than Mark, so I'll, I'll take it with that. So. <laughs> I'll take that one. I'll take okay, that one. All right. Thanks, Case. Okay, buddy. Okay, thank you. All right. Okay, talk to you later. There's Dwayne Casey, head coach of the Detroit Pistons. Again, uh, Pistons and Raptors going tonight in Detroit, 7 o'clock, uh, the tip-off as the Raptors are on the first night of the back-to-back. And, uh, again, as I, as I just said right there, Jonesy, to join us on a game day, really appreciate his time. And, and, you know, he said kind of in that last statement there, to me what, what, what epitomizes Dwayne uh, and what we saw in Toronto and what I'm sure will happen in Detroit. I don't know how quickly, but I'm sure it will happen. He proved, Jonesy, he can coach playoff teams. He can coach championship teams. He can coach teams that are 50-plus wins and, and, and whooping teams on a nightly basis. But he's also, I'm not going to say one of few. There are a lot of good coaches out there. But he's one of a, a, a select group that can also coach and develop extremely well. Yeah. For as much as we talk about the development of the young players in Toronto and give credit to Masai Ujiri and to Bobby Webster and to Nick Nurse and to the entire staff that's been here for a couple of years as well when you think of you know Adrian Griffin and Nate Bjorkren and, and John Goodwill and, and all the rest and all of the people that put their blood, sweat, and tears into the development of, of, the, of this team. Patrick Matumbo and Jama Malalela, all the rest. They all take a part of it. But Dwayne Casey started a lot of that too, or it was at least a part of that, a major part of that. And the development here of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and so many others, and now that's exactly what he's trying to do, and I think showing great signs of already starting to do with the young players that he's got in Detroit. Well, and Eric, let's not forget some of the other guys too. I mean, it, 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 for us, it's easy to point out to our, our listeners and the Raptor fans, oh, yeah, you know, look at Fred, look at Pascal. But there were other guys developed, too, to the point where they were attractive to other franchises. Uh, you know, when you think about uh, a Jakob Pertl and a DeLon Wright and a Jonas Valanciunas. And then, and then I go back to, you know, the coaching staff and their development of the veterans. Kyle Lowry was, he was on his last stop in Toronto. He, it was his third team, and, and things didn't exactly start well here. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he develops into... Guy's going to be a Hall of Famer now, and 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 Demar Derozan, as Dwayne just said, uh, you know Doc Rivers at one point used to call him, you know, uh, suicide driver because he used to put his head down and drive into the lane, and no matter what happened, happened. Now, you know, you you look around, Dwayne Casey in in uh, in an article the other day I saw touting Demar Derozan, as we have and as we've said. Uh, why isn't he considered as an, in, in the MVP conversation? The best player on one of the best teams in the NBA. Yes, people will say, well, look at the playoff success, but it's a regular season award. So why isn't, and, and Dwayne Casey was part of that development too. So there's, there's a lot to it. And, and uh, you know, once you get the formula for development, you, you know, you apply it. it, it travels. I know that Dwayne, when he left Toronto, he took, I believe, two assistant coaches that were kind of under the radar and developmental guys. He took them with him to Detroit. And, and you know, they're, he's employing them now to help some of the young players they have. So that, that's a great point, Eric. It's, it's, it's very, very key, uh, you know, how you handle success and, and how you're able to coach when you have a good team and how you're developing and able to coach when you have a very young team. 
Um, shifting attention here for a second, Jonesy. We've got lots to get into uh, in the next you know, 30 minutes or so. We're going to talk about, uh, about the National Football League and uh, the playoff action this weekend, and uh, we're going to hook up with our man Cabral Richards, Cabby. Um, but some news that came out earlier today, and we didn't address it off the top of the show, but I wanted to at least make mention of it because it's certainly a, a big sports story, period. Uh, but it's one that, you know, I guess somewhat selfishly speaking, impacts uh, the Canadian national soccer team, uh, the men's national team. Um, but more so, I'm just more, you know, thinking about the individual and, and, and his health and, and concern for him going forward. But news came out today that Alfonso Davies is going to be out for a while with what is being called a, quote, slight myocarditis. Uh, it was detected in an examination following um, Davies having COVID-19. And as uh, some quotes go on, uh, it says that uh, yesterday in the follow-up examination that the team does with every player who was infected with COVID-19, they detected a slight myocarditis. Uh, in other words, heart muscle inflammation. He won't be available for the next few weeks for obvious reasons. Uh, from the ultrasound, the myocarditis is not so dramatic. There are s- the signs, though, of it. It must heal, and that takes time. We should expect to be without him for a fairly long time. And that's coming out of Byron. Now, obviously, when you think then, okay, how's that going to impact him with the men's national team? I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. It's like he ain't playing, period. So a major yeah. blow for Canadian soccer. You know, Eric, and I've, I've heard, uh, you know, I've heard of people. Um, I know some people, some athletes that have had, I mean, we've heard the NBA guys talk about how long it's taken to recover. And I know of a couple athletes, amateur athletes that have had, uh, that have remarked, you know, like my chest and I feel after having gone through a bout of, of COVID-19 and, you know, they're young and they're, they're spry and they recover quickly, but there is this kind of lingering effect. And, and it's interesting to hear that because I do know one athlete in particular that had that and, and, and mentioned it, a young athlete, an amateur athlete. And I kind of said, you need to go and see your doctor just in case. And it, it's interesting to hear this about Alfonso Davies. We hope he's okay. We hope it heals up and there are no, for the person, never mind the guy who's just a Absolutely. dynamo on the Canadian soccer team, just so he can go on and, you know, at some point, everybody, no matter how great an athlete you are or how prolific you are, at some point the cheering stops and you leave the field and you step into life as a regular citizen. You just hope that all of that is okay, um, you know, when it's time to do that and there are no lasting effects. Canada's next qualifying window, January 27th to February 2nd, three games during that qualifying window. So, again, we're, what, sitting on the 14th. We're, we're 13 days away. And uh, if, if his coach overseas is saying we expect to be without him for a long time, I can't imagine that in 13 days he's going to be ready to suit up for Canada. Uh, so I would imagine, uh, I think it's, as I said, a foregone conclusion that he won't be playing for Canada. Uh, but, again, that's, that's just my – that's my uh, – that's me playing doctor on the radio here, putting my lab coat on. But as Jonesy said, and I'll echo those sentiments, uh, putting football aside, soccer aside, um, it's about the individual, the person, the human being. So wishing him all the best that he's able to recover and, and, and get back to full strength, full health uh, for his life, let alone for his career overall. It's It's been um, 
I don't know. What's what's a better word than interesting? It's been interesting, unique to follow uh, professional sports, Jonesy, these last couple of years, but especially in the last few months. Because, you know, even as Rick Mahorn was joking with us last hour, it's like, you know, you, you he said, you know, you guys, you're all the ones that close the border. It's like, I'm watching it. Here's what I don't get. And, and I, I don't know. Maybe I'm pulling out the soapbox again. Here's what I don't understand. And I give the people credit for doing it. The Memphis Grizzlies ran a promotion, and if I've got it right, I'm pretty sure I do, they ran a promotion where if you came to a Grizzlies game before the game, I think they were running it today or yesterday, but if you came to the arena, to FedEx Forum, with a jersey of an opposing player, you could exchange it free for a Ja Morant jersey and two tickets to a future Grizzlies game, which, first of all, is an incredible promotion. Like, kudos to the Grizzlies for doing that. But I saw the video, and I'm seeing most of the people lined up at 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 the arena to do this, including many adults and kids and whatnot as well. Face masks on, tons of them with face shields on. But then I watched the games, and whether it's in Memphis or the other 29 markets not in Toronto... I, Jonesy, am I am I am I wrong to say fifty percent at best and more like twenty five percent probably wearing their masks? And then the Minnesota Timberwolves announced the other day that much like the Toronto Raptors already did when they actually still had fans, mandatory vax or proof of a negative test and masking at all times unless actively eating or drinking. And the reaction out of Minnesota, I would say, was. By and large, and granted, I'm taking social media reaction. By and large, was you're clowns. This is ridiculous. Can't believe it's going on. Da da da. Like, I don't. I just. I still am baffled by what we see on television on a nightly basis. What's happening stateside versus what we are currently dealing with right here, just from a sports perspective. Let alone you and I, perhaps to to peel back the the onion a little bit or to to pull back the curtain. We both have significant others that work in the education system and in education period and we're all wondering as many people listening right now as parents of kids like what's monday going to look like meanwhile in the states it's just like hey free for all meanwhile numbers are drastically rising there we're hearing nothing but terrible news about their hospitals and their cases but life's pretty much moving on and 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 we're still kind of doing our thing like I, i I, I'm baffled by what's happening, and I'm baffled by the stories through the sports world that continue to come at us in the NFL. It happened in Major League Baseball to a bit of a lesser extent, but it happened in Major League Baseball. It happened in the NFL. It's happening in the NHL, the NBA. It's happening, obviously, we just talked about with Alfonso Davies across the pond, around the world. But, man, oh, man, it's a much different world just 90 minutes from here when you cross over into the United States. I just I don't yeah. get it. And that's not to say we're great here and we're doing things no, great. No. Trust me, I'm not pointing fingers in, in terms of like we're better. No, no, no. I'm just saying I'm baffled by what's happening there. Uh, well, we had Mark Spears on. What, what We're Friday today. When did we have Mark on? Monday or Tuesday? And he said, so, yeah. he thank you, Canada. said, thank you, Canada, for taking this thing seriously. I mean, he was at Clay Thompson's return and said he went, saw the first bu- bucket in the, in the bowl, and then went back to the media room. Where? He's socially distanced and not around people and, you know, uh, knowing Mark, probably wearing his mask the whole time and 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 maybe swimming upstream and people looking at him like, what, why are you wearing the mask? And uh, it, it, it every every person treats it 
differently. They're, they have their own degree of, you know, severity when it comes to the, the, the treatment of, of all of this. And I guess you just have to respect differences and hope that people respect that on the other side with you. I, I'm with you, Eric. I, I don't get it. Turn on the TV every night and we've got a highly contagious variant out there, but yet people are sitting arm to arm in a 20,000-seat arena, uh, yelling and screaming and breathing on one. You don't know what the guy or the, the girl or the woman beside you, where they've been and what they've been. And, and it's no wonder it, it transmits. But when I decide to wear my mask, please don't give me a hard time for, with, you know, what are you doing wearing your mask? I'm just, I respect what you're doing. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's your choice. Please mm -hmm. respect what I'm doing. That's that's all you can say. And I'm look to put to, to jump up onto your soapbox and then jump down quickly. I, I, I know we're sending the kids back to school, and I know it's good for socialization and and mental health because I still consider myself in some ways an educator. But then the other side, there are kids that we're sending into it after telling them about how how difficult and how dangerous COVID is for two years, they don't want to go to school. There are those kids too that would rather be online schooling and, I, and, and the paranoia of going into a room and sitting at lunchtime with 30 other kids that aren't wearing masks, eating and you know there's talking and well, let's be quite frank, people that don't know, because I used to run a school, uh, lunchtime is a war zone. Like <laughs> it is in a classroom with rotating supervision it is it is it is like warfare and and there are those kids that don't want to go and do that either so i, I don't know what the right answer is i would hope that everybody could be satisfied and if, if some kids want to be and then i think about all the people in the school you know uh, office assistants caretakers uh you know custodial staff uh, assistants teachers principals like you know uh, it, it's, I don't, I don't know what the right answer is. E. I just, I just hope we can be safe and get through this. That's all. I'll, uh, I'll echo that. No doubt about it. All right. When we return speaking of the national football league, I I'd be concerned if I'm a head coach about losing one of my top players going into a postseason game. Heck, I don't even know if I'd be practicing this week. I'd be sticking my players in, in a hotel saying, don't even go home to family and, and friends and kids. We got to have you ready. You imagine losing like one of your top guys, like you're, you're starting quarterback to COVID or something in a postseason game. God forbid the Super Bowl in a few weeks.